Heavenly Father, I do pray tonight that as we open your word, that God, you would uh, illuminate it to us, God, that as we, as we look at what our Savior went through to save us, that we might be here tonight, that we might celebrate at your table. God, uh, I just am so awestruck by you, by that you would go to the extent that you did to save me. God, that is an incredible truth. And Lord, I thank you that we can stand here. And Lord, as we did sing, that we are your children and that we have that confidence that we have, Lord, just know that we belong to you because of what you did. And so, Lord, as we open your word, I do pray that you would just work through it, that you would speak to our hearts. And God, we want to give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> going to look at Isaiah 53. Actually, we're going to back up just a little bit as we always do. You always start somewhere, then you, okay, where do I? But I believe that uh, 13, 14, and 15 of 52 it ties into to 53. So we'll, <clears throat> so we'll start, start there looking at what Christ came to do, a messianic uh, prophecy of Christ and you know, such a clear picture of what Christ came and did for us. And I wanted to go through this tonight as we, as we celebrate, as we prepare to celebrate communion and remember what he did, that we, we get this, this uh, truth and this picture of, of what he went through to save us, that what he did for you and me, and that we can celebrate then at, at the table. And he starts here in, in verse 13 of, of chapter 52, and it says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage, visage and was marred more than any man, and his form more than the son of man. So... He shall sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they see. And whom they had not heard, they shall consider. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? You know, as we look at that, we, we see a picture of what Jesus went through. The, the, that he was beaten he was, you know, it was such a terrible thing that, that he went through before ever getting to the cross. That the scourging and the beatings and, and all of that that he went through. That it says that he was marred and that didn't even look human. That he went through that. But we'll look at that more uh, of a spiritual part that he went through. But, but I... See that in, in the first verse there of, of 53 where it says, who has believed our reports? You know, as I think about the Old Testament prophets, as you think about their job, if you will, of what God called them to do, of how he said, I'm going to send you to a people and they're not going to listen to you. That God loved us enough, that God loved them enough that even though he knew 
that they weren't going to listen, that they weren't going to respond, yet still he sent prophets. He gave them his prophets to, to warn them, to tell them of what would come if they rejected him. And he loved them enough that even though he had told them back with Moses, had told them with Joshua before they went into the land, and even though they had rebelled and they were continuing to rebel, yet still God reached out to them. That's our God, that he loves us so much that he reaches out to us, that he loves us enough that even when we're rejecting him, when we're pushing him away, still he's right there reaching out to us, calling us. He wants us to come to him. He wanted his people to come to him. And yet, even though he knew they weren't going to believe that report, yet he still reached out to them and gave them the word and warned them of the coming disaster if they, you know, if they turn from him. And he does the same for us, that we have his word, that we know and that we can hold on to and that we can respond to that love. And we'll look at, again, what he went through so that we could have that relationship with him, so that we could gather here tonight and that we could, you know, be, be in his presence, be in as children of God and celebrate at his table and remember those things that he has done. And so he, he says here in verse 2, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form of comeliness, and when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. You know, when I think about this, Israel was looking for a political leader. They were looking for someone to come and overthrow the Roman Empire and, and lead them politically. They, you know, and they were at a time when Jesus came in a very dry place spiritually, that they were not in a good place spiritually. And I, and I think about that when they said, you know, as a root grows up out of dry ground. If you've ever been in the mountains and in a rocky area and all of a sudden you see in the middle of this rock this plant coming up. And you go, how does that grow there? There's, there's just enough soil. There's just enough to grow a plant. I was walking the parking lot today just because that's what I do. And uh, <laughs> no particular reason, just walk the parking lot. Cause, and... <laughs> And believe it or not, there's cracks in our asphalt. Who would have thought? But in almost every one of those cracks in the middle of a parking lot, there's weeds coming up. There's grass growing. And I'm thinking, how does that happen? I try to grow grass. It won't grow. You put a parking lot there and it grows. Maybe, that's, maybe I'll pave my yard. <laughs> maybe that's the answer. But, but <clears throat> you see the, and you look at that, that it's not something that you would think would happen. And that's the problem then when they looked at that Jesus when he was here, that it wasn't what and who they expected it him to be. That again, they expected someone to come 
and rule and reign over them politically to be their king to, and, and overthrow that, the government, the government of the Roman government there. And so, you know, again, out of that dry ground at the perfect time, we're told that Jesus came forth, that Jesus came. And obviously this is all pointing to Jesus. And when it says here that, that there wasn't anything special in the way that he looked, he didn't walk around with a halo. He didn't, you know, they, when you looked at him, he was just another Jewish man. He was, there was nothing that would have tracked. You know, again, when you think about that, that here the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords came to our planet. And how did he come? Not in a palace, not with influence that way, but in a manger but in a stall that with, with parents that were poor, that as we see, as you go through the gospels and Jesus, they'd go, who does he think he is? We know his family. We know that he's a carpenter's son. And you know that Mary was pregnant, you know? And, and you look at that and, and so there was nothing there that would, would attract you just to see him. But the love that he had, and as you see that he did attract people by the things that he said and did, but when he was healing people, when he was feeding them, they would come to him. But we see then that they didn't stick around. And that we, we see here that that there was nothing that man, you know, again, when I look at that, that's not how we would expect our Savior to come. But that's how God brought him. And it says, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. He was rejected by men. We see the rejection of Christ. Those that should have recognized, those religious leaders that should have recognized who he was, yet they rejected him. They pushed him away. And again, I think the people, you know, when, they, when he was doing great things, when he was healing, when he was feeding, they followed him. But when he, when he said, hey, the son of man, he doesn't have a house. He doesn't have a bed. You want to follow me? Yet you got to give up everything. That Jesus wasn't looking for creature comforts, but he, he came to die for us. And that, that he was rejected by men. And I think, again, when they, they looked at him and said, hey, we know who you are. Even his brothers that he grew up with didn't believe until after the resurrection that they didn't believe that Jesus was who he was. And we see that even his disciples, the 12, the 11 at the garden, rejected and, and fled when, when he was arrested, that there he was, God, a man of sorrows and a 
acquainted with grief. Now, when I think of that, it wasn't that Jesus walked around down all the time. But we do see the heart of Jesus in many areas. And I think of just a couple of examples of that was at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend, as he wept over that. As he wept over Jerusalem, as he rode into Jerusalem, as he said, if you only knew, if you only knew. But yet he was rejected. And yet he was pushed away. And that their faces they hid from him. He was despised and they did not esteem him. That Jesus as he walked this planet was not... Again, nothing that that people looked at and said, wow. And again, even the disciples, those 12 that were with him, we know one, obviously Judas, was one that, that betrayed him. And the others, even though they walked with him and, and he taught them and seen the things that he did, they were still looking, just as a religious leader, where they were looking at him as taking over and being a... A, a political leader. If, and, and so at the crucifixion, they were going, man, we put all our eggs in this basket and now look what's going on. What are we going to do? They were down. And we see that they all deserted him there at, when Judas came out with the, with the mob and they come to arrest Jesus and that they scattered now, Peter stood there for a little bit and tried to use a sword, which he was obviously not very good at, and Jesus had to put the ear back on. But we see that, that they deserted him, and even then we see a little bit later as, as Peter followed along and was there and denied him in front of the servant girl. And we see the love that Christ had for them and for us, that even through that time, that still he came to do, to save us. He came to go through that so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have a relationship with him. Surely he has bore our, he has bore our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. That Jesus came for one reason, to go to the cross to die for our sins, to carry our grief, to carry our sins. And when I think about that, that because of what he did, then I can have that peace and I can have that joy, that I don't have to have that grief and that sorrow that I carry. That again, I think when they were, when he was on the cross, what did they say? Hey, he saved others. Hey, if you are the Christ, if you are the Son of God, come down off that cross. But what kept Jesus there was his love for us because he came to do that job. And even though he was rejected, even though he was smitten, that even though he was still there, that he was going to do what he came to do that he could have at any time came down off that cross, but yet he chose to die for you and me. And I think even in the garden, you think of the garden of Jesus 
on the night he was betrayed. As he went and was praying and told his disciples, stay here and pray. Well, we know what they did. They went to sleep. As Jesus anguished over the decision, over what he was going to go through, and that separation from the Father, that we're told that it was so intense that he sweat drops of blood, that it was so intense of what he was going to face, and yet the beautiful prayer that he said, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I came to do the will of the Father. I came to do that. Save us from our sins, from our grief, from our sorrow, from those things. And yet, as people walked by, they looked and said, wow, he's just another criminal. He's just another one who deserves death. He was smitten. He was afflicted for us. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. You know, I I look at verse 5, and I think so often we look at that verse and use it out of context. Because I think so often when we think about being healed, we think of physical healing. And he, no doubt, God heals. But he doesn't always heal. As we see throughout Scripture, there was times that he healed people, there's times that he didn't. And the one thing that I know that we're all going to die at some point if Christ doesn't come back, if he doesn't come back for us. And so, We can't look at this just in the physical realm because it's so much more than that. What did he come to heal us from? From the bondage of sin and death. That it's a spiritual healing that he came to do, that by his stripes we are healed spiritually, that we who are dead in our sins have now been made alive through the blood of Jesus Christ. That it's that spiritual healing that is the most important above any physical healing that we might ever experience. And I think so often we get so caught up in our physical in this that we, that we look at that and go, and there's people that use this verse for that reason, and, and it's, that's not what it is. That he, <clears throat> he came to heal us spiritually, that he came to give us that peace. I love that, the chastisement for our peace. That we not only have the peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, but we experience the peace of God through that. And that we can walk in assurance of our salvation. We can walk in the assurance of peace because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Because of what he went through. That we can, we can have that and that we can walk in that peace. Because I, you know, I look at what's going on around our country, around the world, 
And if it wasn't for the peace of God in my life, I'd be pretty freaked out. If I was looking for political leaders to step in and fix all that's going wrong, I'd be pretty worried about that. But you know what? I can have peace about whatever's going on because the thing that I know is my God is in control. That God is going to make it okay. That we may have to go through things, but it's okay because God has it under control. That God is going to see us through. That we can have that peace of knowing that our salvation is secure because of what Jesus Christ did, because of what he did on the cross, that he came. And I, when I think of him going through the beatings, the physical part that he went through for that, but so much more than that, that it was the separation from the Father, that as he who knew no sin became sin, that we might be delivered from sin, that we might not have that sin debt on us, that we can have that relationship with him, that we can be healed spiritually through the blood of Jesus Christ, through that sacrifice that we did, that he did for us. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the, the iniquity of us all. Like dumb sheep that we are, we have all went our own way. We're told in Romans that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That there's no one that is worthy of salvation, if you will, because why? We go our own way. We do our own thing. We want our own way. And I would hope my prayer would be as Jesus was, not my will, but yours be done. But again, even as we went astray, as like, like sheep that turns away and, and goes our own way, Jesus came after us. That we have turned on our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That Jesus Christ paid for every sin that has ever been committed. All we got to do is accept that. All we got to do is embrace that and accept that gift that he's given us. That we can walk in that. That we can walk in that fullness and in that peace of God because God laid it on his own son that we might have a relationship with him. That is absolutely incredible to me to think about what God did. You know, as you, as you look at that and you, you know, again, we're just, you know, a little over a week away from, from celebrating his resurrection, of celebrating what he did and looking at how he fulfilled these prophecies that was made here in this chapter, in chapter 53, of how God, so long before Jesus ever stepped foot on this planet, told us what he was coming to do in Isaiah. And they should have realized that, and they should have recognized that, but yet they didn't, because they were looking for that political leader. He was, he was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. 
He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That Jesus didn't try to defend himself, that Jesus, as he went before Pilate, when he went before Herod, when he went before all of that court, he never defended himself. Why? Because he was going to die for our sins. And he was silent. He never spoke a word in his own defense that he didn't open his mouth. Now, we were talking in the back room. Lisa was telling me that sheep are not quiet. I think this is like sheep were going to get a massage is what I figured out. So they were, yeah, this is good stuff. But, but Jesus was there knowing what being accused and sentenced to death falsely, yet he never tried to defend himself. Why? Because we were guilty. Because it was about us. It wasn't about him. It was about us. We were guilty. We deserved the cross. We deserved death. And Jesus stood before those judges, before that silent, because of us that he was willing to take that place. He was taken from prison and from, and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living, and the transgressions of my people he was smitten. We see that he was cut off, that he, he died for our sins. But yet, in three days we know that he rose again, that he didn't stay there, that who's going to declare his generation? You know, it's interesting to me that we have the privilege of declaring the love of Christ, the gift of Christ, that we have invitations that we can give out for people to come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ this Resurrection Sunday, that we have that power that we can shout the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that we are in a time where people need to hear that more than ever. That, and I think people are going to be receptive because people are looking for the truth. People are looking for answers. And we have the answer right here in our scripture of Jesus Christ that we have the answer that people are looking for. They don't know what they're looking for, but we need to shout that, and we need to be those that are sharing that gospel, that we need to be declare to our generation what Jesus Christ has done for us. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done, by, because he had done no violence nor was there any deceit in his mouth. That as you read the account of the crucifixion, that we see that Jesus was crucified between two thieves. That to the onlooking world, again, just another criminal paying for his, paying for his crimes. That they looked at him with the wicked. But then we also know that Joseph of Arimathea, the rich guy that had 
loaned him his tomb for three days. They had, so he was buried with the rich. An incredible thing that, again, that was prophesied here in Isaiah that took place at his burial, at his crucifixion. That these things that we can see the the prophecy here, we have the privilege of looking back at this and very clearly seeing that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies as, as through his, his death, that he, again, that he had no way of manipulating, that he had no way of, of fixing that. But though, though he, was, he was crucified with the sinners that he was looked at, that instead he was buried with the rich because he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth and look at verse 10 yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him it pleased God to do that why for you and me that God loved us so much that he was pleased to do that to his son to have a relationship with you and I. If that don't stir our heart, if that don't want, if you don't see the love of Christ through that, that is an amazing truth that he did for you and I, that it pleased him to bruise him, and he has put on him, he has put him to grief when you made his soul and offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasures of the Lord shall prosper his hand. That we see that though it pleased God to bruise him, we also see that resurrection that proves that that sacrifice was sufficient for our sins that Jesus didn't stay dead, that we serve a risen Savior, that we serve a God. I, I always like what, what the angel told Mary. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's alive. He's alive. Yet we can walk in that, and we can have that, that truth of knowing that Jesus Christ went through all of this for us, that he didn't stay in the grave, know it. And it says here, when, when you made his soul an offense for sin, you shall see his seed, he shall prolong his day, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. That we see the grieving, or we see the sorrow, and we see here in this, but then we also see the outcome of that, the satisfaction that we see that Christ, for the love of us, went to the cross and died, that he rose again, and the satisfaction of knowing that once and for all, death was defeated, sin was defeated, that we no longer have to walk in that, that if we make that decision to walk with him and accept that, that we can walk with him and we can have that and 
again, we, we bring that satisfaction of knowing that our sins are forgiven, knowing that we are right in a right relationship with God. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. We are justified, and I love that. We are just if I had never sinned. We are justified through this sacrifice that Jesus made. That we are justified through this sacrifice. That we see, again, that how much that he loved us. Of how much he came to die for us. And that he bears our iniquity. And that that brings him satisfaction when we accept that. And when we walk with him. And when we come to him. And we don't put that off. When we don't reject him. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressor. That we have, through Jesus Christ, that intercession. And I love the, the fact that Jesus, we're told that Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. That our sins are washed away. That again, we are justified through what Jesus Christ did. All we have to do is accept that. You know, and in just a few minutes, <coughs> excuse me, in a few minutes, we're going to celebrate at the table. We're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus died and rose again. That, you know, I think of as, as Jesus, the multitudes were following him. And Jesus said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. And what happened? They, they left. And I love Peter when he asked, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter said, Lord, where else would I go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else would I go? You know, and sometimes I think as we serve, as we take communion, as we come together, that that's, I don't, I think sometimes we, we just do things out of ritual. We do things out of habit. We, you know, first Thursday of the month, we're going to do communion. But I really wanted us to look at what it cost Christ for us to have this privilege to do this. Of what it cost him that we might have our sins forgiven. That way we might be able to know. And that we, as, as we do take communion here in a few, few minutes, that we really, it's a time of reflection. Really a time of worship of really worshiping him for what he's done and for who we are in him, that we can have that assurance of salvation, that we can have that assurance that he's with us, that he has that intercession for us. And like Peter, where else are we going to go? Where are you going to go for eternal life, for peace, for joy, for that comfort that only God can give? that he went to this extreme 
And again, we see this from the foundations of the earth, this was planned. That before he ever created us, this was planned. Because he knew we all like sheep were going to go astray. And yet, he created us and he loved us enough that he wants us to come to him and make that choice to serve him, to follow him. He could have made us where we had to, but he didn't do that. He made it where we can. He wants us to love him and come to him because he's worthy, because he's God. And again, not because of what he's going to give us, not because he's going to heal us physically necessarily, but he's going to heal us spiritually, that he's going to heal us so that we are no longer under the bondage of sin, so that we can live without that bondage of sin and condemnation, that we can get rid of all of that, that we can sing, we are a child of God, that we are in his presence, that we can have that assurance, and that we know that he is there with us, and that, you know, for the creator of the universe to love us that much is absolutely incredible that he wants a relationship with you, that he wants a relationship with me. And all we got to do is accept that and walk. And I know that most of us here tonight, we're here for communion. We're here on a midweek. But again, I want us to just really meditate on that as we as we prepare to take communion, that we meditate on how good our God is, of how much he loves us and how much he wants a relationship with us.